Welcome to the fourth edition of Behind the Helmet, where we're joined by Indy Lights driver Stingray Rob throughout the 2022 Indy Lights season as he pursues the championship. I'm your host, David Hoffman, and I'm joined by the driver of the number two for Andretti Autosport, Stingray Rob. Stingray, how's it going today? I'm good, David. How are you? Yeah, doing pretty well. Well, you've had a pretty hectic, you know, past th- two weeks, uh, yeah. two and a half weeks at this point. You know, you started off in Detroit and Road America, I guess. You know, we can start off with Detroit. Um, we can kind of glance over that. I know Detroit race one didn't go exactly how you wanted to kind of describe just, you know, you started third, finished 11th due to, you know, going into the corner a little bit too hot, uh, trying to pass Peterson for second, I believe. Uh, what happened there? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd obviously been on a good little streak there, finishing third in the last few races and then going into that, that race, I knew that we had a fast car. We were P1 in practice one. Um, we, I felt like we should have been P1 in the, the qualifying session, but just got caught out by yellow flags and cold tires and everything else. So P3 was an all right starting position for us, but, um, sitting behind Peterson, I saw him make a mistake, uh, in turn five, which is that setup corner for the back straightaway there down to turn seven. And so, um, I just went for it. I knew that was my chance. I could see Lundquist just pulling away a little bit. And I said, okay, if there's going to be a time to, to make a move, it's now. And so going down into turn seven, we went side by side and I had the move done but I had like a half percent too much rear rearward brake bias and locked the rear tires on entry and then just got loose on the entry and spun into the wall. Uh, so, I mean, it's super frustrating when you're especially going for a move like that, you know, you're, you're going for a good position. And I felt like we had a car to maybe run down Lundquist or at least, you know, be there with him if there's another yellow flag or something, which there was. Um, so I don't know. It was just kind of a, a little bit of a brain fart, I guess, not much to say about it, but, I'm, I'm so happy with the event. I thought it was a good show of pace change and where we were able to run. I've heard just before the IndyCar drivers, they've said how they kind of allow themselves at least one mulligan per season type of thing to be able to still contend for a championship. It's, you know, how difficult is that knowing that, you know, only ha- giving yourself that one, you know, bad race per se when a guy like Lundquist is out there and the, you know, sweeping the weekend when you know he's just bagging in points we you know week in and week out like how difficult is that yeah it's definitely frustrating and like i said like i was tired of finishing third so i was pushing it pretty hard and i wanted to get that move done super bad and it was to be honest it was a, a bit of a move of desperation uh rather than a, a smart racing move and I, i'm a little bit frustrated with myself that i let that get to me but now i've learned something from it and i think that we settled back into my regular form the next day finishing third and yeah, I know, obviously that frustration was there. I heard it on the radio, you're like, dang it, you know, like that kind of thing. Just, you know, I guess it, not just that week, but, you know, just overall, what's that mental battle like inside the cockpit, kind of finding that line of, you know, when a guy's there and, you know, having that like position right there, but also knowing, all right, I'm battling for a points championship, but also wanting to get that first win since, you know, being so consistent third and now second in Road America as well. Yeah. Um, racing is an interesting sport. We got lots of highs and lots of lows and it's like the very opposite ends of each spectrum. And so I think that like one of the things that I've learned throughout my career and like, especially with my faith, is just learning patience. Um, and like, you still have to push the limits. I mean, in motorsports, there's, there's no moments off. There's no split seconds that you can take off and take a breath and not be pushing it because if you do, you're giving up position. And so like, I've been really working hard this year to be consistent. Like I have been and that was one of those moments where I just pushed it a little bit too far. And we always say that it's whoever's first is the guy that can hang it over the edge without falling over. You know, you're pushing it to that 101% mark and 
maybe 99% mark, but you're, you're just trying to find where that limit is every, every run, every corner. And so it's just kind of the name of the game. And like you said, that one mole again is something that I think is very valid um, because you, you kind of have to push it. And especially in a junior series where like young drivers like myself are learning where those limits are mentally, physically, where the car is at that limit. And like, I don't think that if I was faced with that same situation, again, I would have done it the way I did because I learned something from it. And so it's just like, you stack up all these experiences and it's not so much like, man, I don't want to get in a slump. I don't want to get into press state of like, this is just the way things are. I think that as a driver for, at least for me, I always want to do the best that I can. And if your focus is always forward and not focused on what's happened in the past, then it allows you to kind of experience those things, experience those trials and apply them for the future so that you're better when you get to that next experience, whatever it may be. Obviously, you did bounce back uh, the second race in Detroit, uh, started second, finished third. Uh, you had a good battle between your Andretti Autosport teammates. Uh, <laughs> second see this a while. How was, how was that battle? I know Rasmussen had a little bit of bad luck there. What did you see from that you know, vantage point when he I – don't, I don't even remember what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that whole weekend was a bit of a mess for us as Andretti. Um, we definitely had a good car. I mean, we all rolled off the truck very strong, and then going into race one, we had three guys hit the wall, like Matt inherited the podium. Good for him. Like he was there when the rest of us weren't, but, um, we, we had to sit down with one of our guys, Rob Edwards, um, there in Andretti. He's one of the team managers. And he said, guys, like, this is not what we do. And that's kind of an embarrassing moment as a driver. You're like, dang, like, you're right. Like, this is, this is not what we need to be doing. We need to be there every race, be consistent and don't drive like little kids. You know, don't drive with immaturity. And then, um, race two came along and, obviously Christian hit the wall there and it was just like one of those things where he hung it over the edge just a little bit too far in turn five and just skipped off the side of the wall there. It looked almost like a repeat of the day before um, his incident there, but just not quite as hard. So um, heartbreak for him, but like definitely one of those races where you feel like you're walking on eggshells a little bit with the team and like, okay, I just know that we need a good finish and double podium. It's pretty good. So I counted it as a blessing. I think that we, we all learned something from that weekend, all of us drivers as well as the team. Um, but yeah, definitely Detroit could have been something a little bit better. It was frustrating to see Linus get the weekend sweep. I think that we all had the potential to be up there with him. It's just the way that racing goes. Sometimes you take your crumbs at the end of the weekend, if you have to, and move on to the next. Did you notice any real changes, at least with the track conditions or just like the, you know, just like the rhythm of between race one and race two? Yeah, for sure. I think that race two, um, towards the end of the race, it started to feel more like quality laps, which is fairly abnormal. I think for most events, like you're usually hanging on at the end of a, of a race, just because the tire deck is so much greater. And like, we were just getting faster and faster and faster and faster. Um, and the balance didn't really change. It was just the overall track grip went up, which was interesting. Normally when the track level, uh, increases, then the balance shifts a little bit front to rear. And we didn't have that so much. Our car was pretty consistent throughout the weekend. And so like from race one to race two, we didn't hardly touch the car. We knew that we were good. And so we just kind of cleaned it up from hitting the wall the day before and went back out and did the same thing. And I know going into, you know, Detroit Indy lights, they'd changed the, I guess, kind of mirrored the push to pass the Indy car, you know, has, mm -hmm. did, how did that affect the race at all? I mean, like, I know you guys, I guess you're not as used to that type of feel. What's kind of like the change with that? It's definitely, uh, it's different because you can run different strategies now. Like for example, before it kind of turned into like what formula one is like, it's just a DRS train where 
if you're the third car in line, you can't pass anyone because the second car in line is doing it to try and get around the first car. But now like the first car in line can defend and then sometimes he might have to save. And so it just, it skews the numbers a little bit. And like for me uh, during race two, like I had a lot of push to pass left at the end of the race, whereas Hunter, he was using it more full straightaways at the beginning half of the race. And so like last five laps of the race, I was on the button hard, but he had just enough that like the last lap and a half that he could use it again. And so like he was using it to defend, whereas before it would have just been, he would have been a sitting duck. And so it's kind of interesting too, because you can turn it on and off and you can manage it a little bit better. So still have the gain of, okay, I need to close up now. And you don't have to use a full press. Whereas before it's like, that's a big, big thing. Like that's giving up a potential pass every time you use that to catch someone where now it's like, you can, you can do little squirts to catch up a little or use a big one to pass someone. So it's, it's pretty nice. I like the new system. I don't know if it's better or worse, but it definitely helps the leader or whoever's defending. And I know with the, like the in-car type of tools, what's the, I guess, thinking back to like Indie Pro 2000, did you guys have any of that type of system or is this straight just go? It's straight just go. Okay. I mean, Indie Pro, you don't even have any roll bar adjustment. Mm-hmm. So like for us, we're adjusting roll bars during the whole entire race as tires fall off a certain way or the other, or there's a restart or something. We can adjust those front anti-roll bars or rear anti-roll bars to try and manage where the grip level is at as well as the push to pass. So it just increases the amount of tools that you have, like IndyCar. IndyCar is very similar setup. And for, I guess, with the transition, how has that been for you, knowing that you have more of these tools, but also being able to still focus on what you're looking at ahead? Does it kind of come naturally as you're in the cockpit, or is it kind of like been a transition for you? It hasn't really been too much of a transition. Like, obviously, during a race, you're thinking about a lot of different things about how to manage tires, uh, what the other drivers are doing, where you can see them uh, pulling gaps or closing, and everything else that goes along with that. But it didn't seem like too much of a transition just because it's like, you're, you're already thinking about uh, push the pass a little bit. And it, it makes more sense to me this way now because it, it adds strategy into it. And that's something I felt like I learned in karting. Like I was always trying to think ahead, like, okay, where do I see that I'm closing up on them here, here, here. And I could use the push the pass now to manage that gap better. And I, you know, moving on to road America then, Pretty stout weekend, uh, you know, started started on pole, first career pole in Indy Lights. Uh, first off, congratulations on that. Thank uh, you. Yeah, what's that feeling like when you're on a flyer at, you know, a fast, you know, smooth racetrack like Road America? I mean, that place, <laughs> you can get up pretty high, you know, MP, you know yeah. miles per hour. Yeah, um, I mean, it's so unbelievable. Finally getting that pole position was huge, um, but obviously the Andretti cars were quick. We were one, two, three, four in qualifying there, so huge props to the team. We rolled off the truck pretty strong. Um, but during qualifying, you know, we, we kind of had to manage the tires throughout the weekend because the tire deck at road America is just massive. And so, uh, we went out on our first set of new and qualifying and I was pretty good, not great, but I was definitely off the pace of where I could have been. And I told the guys like, don't touch the car. I don't want to change anything. Like I know it's in there. I was running under someone else's rear wing pretty much, um, on that first set of new tires. So I could feel the arrow wash and I didn't get the ultimate lap time because of that. So I, I knew where the car balance was. I knew it was capable of, I just didn't know of how much it was capable of. Um, so when we put that second set on, I could see the Delta time on my dash and it tells you like predicted lap time. And it said that my predicted lap time was a second faster. And it was just like going down and down and down. I'm like, man, I must've like locked up tires or something and it's now skewing whatever the predicted lap time is. And then I crossed the line and it was like a true time. I'm like, Oh my goodness, that was crazy. 
and then uh, ended up staying on pole. And I actually thought that I left a little bit on track just because it was like the time just came where we needed it to. And like, it was a clean lap, but it was like, we, we lined it up afterwards. We looked at my theoretical lap time and my overall actual lap time. And it was like six hundredths of a difference between the theoretical and the actual. Um, so that was pretty cool. Like I haven't, I haven't done a lap like that in a very long time. And so I was like, yeah, that, that felt really good. Huge, huge props to the team though. I was excited. So what's the difference between a the- theoretical and what was the other one? Like overall lap time? Yeah. So theoretical, it takes your, there's different sections on the track. And so like, for example, Road America, you have like turn one, turn three, and then like turn five and then so on and so forth. Um, and so it takes like each one of those sections and whatever your best time is like from each one individually, not overall lap time, but like the individual sector lap times, it'll lay those together. And that's your theoretical. So it's like, if you were to do an absolutely perfect lap based on the laps you've already done, then your theoretical lap time would be this. And typically like, it seems like two tenths off is fairly normal because you're not optimizing every single sector because it all flows together. Um, but I did a pretty good job of that in that run. So 600 was pretty good. I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like besides like winning a pole, winning a race, I think now realizing now you'd think that, yeah, you'd want to have like that best, you know, theoretical lap time, like, you know, as close to the overall as possible. Thinking about it, like, I feel like as a driver, it's yeah. going to be satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like every driver is going to have a different theoretical, right? So for me, like my theoretical was, based on my sectors. And so like, you're only chasing a perfect lap based off of what you know you can do. And so like the theoretical is like the perfect lap for you. And so like, for me, I'm like, okay, that was pretty good. I'm pretty proud of that. And like our theoreticals actually between a team, I was like a, for example, 0.90 and Hunter was a 0.91. And then Christian was a 0.93. And it was just like, depended on who managed to link those sectors together the best. And so it was pretty cool to see like all of our theoretical lap times were pretty close, even though we're different drivers and we have different ways of getting that speed out of the car. As knows you, you're all getting the best possible speed out of the car, you know, that it can possibly have. Yeah. And, you know, like looking into the race itself, obviously started on pole, uh, you know, Rasmussen, uh, let me see here. Yep. Got around you on initial start, but then you, uh, was it like the next restart or something you were able to get back by and went three wide with uh, Brabham yeah. as well. <laughs> what was that like what was that what was oh, your man. mindset knowing that okay one of either one of us is going to have to lift or we're all going into the <laughs> going into the gravel or somewhere yeah so that restart was pretty crazy um you can go pretty early as the leader and so coming out of the last turn i could see christian get on the throttle but he got loose over the curb and so like he kind of came to the inside and then i had a lift and come to the inside as well to try and get get around him so i had not that great of a run and then matt i could see him i checked in my mirrors pretty early on in the straightaway. And I could see that like, okay, he's kind of got to run, but I don't think he'll be there. Like he, he won't go three wide. There's no way. Like we just, this is not going to happen. And then pretty soon we're halfway down the straightaway and I look at my mirrors and I don't see that blue and yellow car again. What in the world? Where is he? But I'm already next to Christian. And so I look left and I see two guys next to me and they're both my teammates. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be crazy. And so thankfully Christian backed out going to turn one and man, that was scary. I'm glad I was on the inside, but yeah, definitely one of those moments. It's like, you don't want to be in that situation with your teammates. You know, they're going to try and race it clean, but that was a pretty aggressive move by all of us. I was kind of surprised because it was, you know, still fairly early, not even halfway through. I guess it's just like, you know, when the opportunity is there, you have to go for it because you never know if there is going to be another caution. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think that Road America is one of those tracks where it can get spaced out. Um, and the aero wash is so big. Like it's hard to run behind someone and get around them unless you're like a lot quicker than them. And so like for me, I was trying to get out to the lead early and just running clean air. So I didn't burn the tires off. And Christian did a good job of that. I mean, the toe, the, the drafting there is so big. And so like on the starts, it's hard to lead. And so like, I was thankful to get that position. And then of course I went to red flag and I started the restart and first again, I'm like, dang it. But I think had, had the red flag not come out, I might've been able to stay out front and just manage the tires and the push pass a little bit better. You mentioned the red flag, you know, Christian Bogle basically ripped down the fence. Have you seen anything like that before? What was no. your reaction like initially? No, so I, I actually got to talk to Bogle about it because we go to pit fit training together every once in a while. And he's like, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Like it was just one of those freak incidents where he was trying to go around the outside of Lundquist and then just got squeezed a little bit. Instead of taking out his teammate, he decided to take the runoff and then rejoin later on in the, in the turn. But that curb, the way it's designed, it just launched the car in the air. And he said that it, he was totally fine. But like on the video, that's so insane. Like you don't typically see an Indy Lights car flying through the air, taking out a bunch of fence, you know, a few hundred feet of fence. So I'm glad he was safe and glad that it wasn't too terrible, but definitely one of the more exciting incidents of the year. Yeah. And then obviously when you're, I guess, probably the moment that everyone was talking about on Twitter was when you were interviewed uh, oh, man. about the yeah. uh, too many liquids <laughs> before the race. <laughs> um, yeah. so, has that ever happened to you before where you're just kind of like, I had too much, you know, like liquids, no. fluid? Water. No, I've never had that in my entire life. And I think like truly the only reason is it's because I, I, I drink my normal, I have a routine that I kind of go through with drinking fluids, especially on a hot, humid day like it was there. Um, I just wanted to get as many liquids in as possible because you sweat it out during the race. And when your adrenaline's going, you're not thinking about going to the bathroom or anything. And, but when that red flag came out, it was only like the first 10 laps of the race were complete. So it's still pretty early on. So I didn't have that time to like sweat it out. And I think just sitting there in the car, I'm like, oh man, this is not going to be good. You know, you're belted in super tight. Like everything is just super. Um, but man, it was pretty crazy to be sitting in there and then finally get back to going green later on in the day. So I'm, I'm thankful I had that little break to run to the bathroom and back, but I didn't think they were going to make a whole story out of it. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> Obviously, you, know, you didn't pull the Hinchcliffe, which, <laughs> which everyone is like, okay, great. You know, I feel like that's a win in itself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously you had to wait till after the IndyCar race. Did you end up, you know, on top of the box for someone or just kind of watching or you just kind of locked in focused in like a bus or something like that? No. So I went, ate lunch at the Andretti hospitality tent and just kind of hung out. I was, uh, sitting close to Rossi's pit for a little bit. Um, I wasn't on the box or any, anything like that, but, uh, just kind of got to enjoy the weekend a little bit right before our race and about halfway through, I went back to our our trailer and started to figure out some things. Um, I had some contact early on in uh, the first part of that race with uh, Hunter. And I think that we were kind of worried about what was done to the car. What if, what if there's something that we need to change or whatever, but it was fine. So I was just trying to play all the scenarios out and figure out which way we were going to go on the restart and hang on from there. I guess kind of side note with the food, uh, did you end up having any of the uh, delicacies of whatever cheese concoctions that they have? There? Oh man, normally Road America, I try and get out and try all the greasy foods right before, or right, sorry, right after the race. But because we were going right after the IndyCar race, I didn't have a chance to do that. So I missed out a little bit, but we were staying in Sheboygan 
and Sheboygan, man, oh, they have some of the best food there down on the water. Um, so I was pretty cool. We were able to like walk from our hotel to the restaurants each night. So I enjoyed that. I don't think you can go wrong with any food by the water. And I, I feel like any food that yeah. like, like restaurant type of stuff on the, on the water, you know, it's going to be like absolutely yep. a one type, <laughs> type of food. Yep. No, it's 100% uh, so good. <laughs> uh, so obviously after the red flag, um, you know, got back racing, uh, Rasmussen got around you and then it kind of set sail from there. I know you kind of stayed with them for a, a good bit of like the last 10 laps or so, or last mm-hmm. like five or whatever it was. But then it seemed like it kind of tapered off a little bit. Was that like you said, with like the arrow wash or was that tires kind of starting to fade a little um, bit? Yeah. So like about... 10 laps in, I'm trying to figure out how long the last part of that race was, but until about five laps to go, I was running within half second of him, and we were both matching each other on push to pass. Um, my engineer was telling me, you know, Hey, this is how much is you have, this is how much he has. And so we were doing a good job of managing that. And he just ran a cr- clean race out front, but about five to go, my right rear tire started to lose air pressure a little bit. And so that played a little bit of a role on where I was able to not gain as much on him. And he pulled away a little bit, but you know, it's definitely frustrating hanging on to the rear end of the car around road America. Can't put the power down anywhere. You're, you're just trying to survive and not lose position. But I definitely wanted that win. I wanted that win super bad. So good for Christian that he got it. But I think uh, had the day not gone the way that it did, it may have been a different story. Yeah, because it seemed like now it almost seems like, you know, all four Andretti Autosport cars are kind of it seems like the, the trend has kind of moved a little bit in your direction instead of. Uh, HMD Motorsports like in a way with mm-hmm. you know with like at least with result wise at least with Detroit Race 2 and then Road America as well. Yeah, I think that we're doing a lot of work away from the track to try and figure out how to how to close that gap up a little bit to leanness. And I think that that's just kind of the natural way of the championship. It seems like different teams have different philosophies to get speed out of the car and HMD has been really good at Barber and we've been good at other tracks. And so it's just kind of it's going to be that way i think the rest of the season so i'm interested to see how the mid-ohio race is going to go i know that um hmd's done some testing there but andretti's had a really good car and i mean mid-ohio is one of my favorite tracks by far it's where i got my first indy pro 2000 win so hopefully i can check off my first indy lights win there that'd be super cool but yeah definitely looking forward to the weekend mentioned mid-ohio uh you got about two weeks until that july 3rd that'll be on like a saturday <laughs> you know what what is it about mid-ohio that's just really enjoyable to you i think the track has a really good rhythm um some tracks like road america there's a bit of time between each turn and so they don't really flow together that well um it just feels like you're kind of choppy in the sense of the rhythm there uh, but mid-ohio like the four five six down through thunder valley all of that section everything flows together so like if you mess up one turn you mess up the next one. And so I really like the way that it feels and flows together. Um, and you can kind of get in the zone a little bit more. It just seems like it's more of a, a natural driving track, especially for the Indy Lights car. Um, so I'm excited to see what it's like in an Andretti car. I know that they've been good there in the past, like I said, but definitely Mid-Ohio is one of the, the tracks I look forward to most. I mean, elevation change, the track grip level, um, all of it. I mean, it's just a very diverse track. You got low speed, high speed, off camber, banked, whatever else, you know, you got it all. So it's a fun track to drive. Well, now you've officially notched the third, bunch of third to second. Now I feel like there's only one thing left <laughs> and you know, maybe it will come true finally. And uh, second in points, by the way, that has to feel good. You know, even though not, you haven't notched that first win yet, you, you, that consistency is paying off with, you know, being in second in points right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, you know, hit myself a little bit after the Detroit race one, knowing that we could have closed that gap even more with a second place there, but yeah, it feels good. I know that we got a, a group of hungry drivers behind us and I think the goal is just chasing that first place down. I think we can do it. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with the way that things are going within the team and within myself and uh, we're getting better every weekend. And I think that's super cool to see a progression um, and not just on track, but off the track and the relationships that we're building. And uh, I feel, I feel excited. You know, it's one of those things where I want to be optimistic and excited to go into the next race and just keep the rhythm that we have going. And I think that uh, holding the faith a little bit, you know, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing and keeping our heads up. That's all you can do at the end of the day and, you know, control what you can control. But uh, yeah. final little bit, random questions. I have three of them. And the, the theme for today is childhood. It's like a childhood theme. So three questions. Okay. So kind of inner, inner stingray from five yeah. through 10 or something like that. <laughs> so as a kid, what was your favorite TV show? Ooh, if I'm going to go movie, I was a big Pixar kid. So yeah. like mm -hmm. Kung Fu Panda, Lightning McQueen, Cars movies, all those Ice Age, loved all of oh, them. Yeah. Um, but favorite TV show, Phineas and Ferb was always on there for me. I could still sing the theme song like by <laughs> heart. I know it. Um, but other than that, I don't know what else. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the movies was actually my uh, second question then, but yeah, oh, was movies, it? yeah, for movies at least, yeah, I'd say anything Pixar, Ratatouille is always good. Oh, yeah. Uh, I will add a, a couple more in there, though. Um, yeah. I was kind of a funny kid. I liked watching Animal Planet yep, and the Discovery <laughs> Channel. So it was like how it's made, dirty jobs, yes. um, the Meerkat family. <laughs> like, I liked all those. So <laughs> I don't know. It was, I was kind of a diverse kid. I liked the cartoons a little bit, but I also liked, I don't know, how is a calculator made? You know, like <laughs> just crazy things like that. It was fun. Oh, and Mythbusters. Mm, Mythbusters yep. was a great one. <laughs> Blowing stuff up all the time. Loved that show. I mean, yeah, Dirty Jobs. I'm, I think, what, isn't there, aren't they like doing more sh like episodes again or something like that on Discovery Plus or, or something like oh, that? Man. I, think I would like to know if that's true. I would watch them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember Dirty Jobs was seeing the random stuff that they'd make him do. You're like, you're like kind of disgusted. You're like, okay, that's kind of funny. He would make it funny, yeah. you know? Yeah. And for yeah, sure. let's see. Yeah, for movies, yeah, Pixar, anything Cars. I guess side note, what, what, what how would you rank the Cars movies? <laughs> oh, man. The original, I think it's the best. But I really like Tomater. So the second one is also up there. I think it's just like one, two, three. Okay. I think it was first one was the best. Second one's pretty good. Third one, I'm like, eh, I could go either way. I'm surprised. Like, I, I don't know. I thought the third one kind of revived the second one. I, the second one just felt kind of out of character of just what Cars is yeah. about in a way. I don't know. Like, I could, it was fun because it was like a, what was it a secret agent type of thing? But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Cars 3, I still think was pretty darn good. Kind of, at least yeah. in my no, I agree, but I just love Tomater. Tomater is like one of my oh. favorite characters of all movies in history. So good. You can't go wrong with them. Uh, and I guess, yeah, TV shows. Ooh, I remember I watched the Boomerang channel a lot or something like that. So oh, yeah. it was at the Jetsons, the Flintstones, kind of like the old stuff. Um, I don't know. I feel like I kind of was, I, I didn't have Nickelodeon as a kid, so I kind of or Disney Channel. So I didn't really watch, you know, like Phineas and Ferb or whatever mm -hmm. else was on TV then. But yeah, I know <laughs> I uh, went through with my fiance the whole Hannah Montana series. So that was fun. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
that yeah now that you know uh what is it the best of both worlds song stuck in my oh, head yeah. at random times you know it, it's fun man that's awesome good for I was, you it's kind yeah. of disappointed when it ended i was like man it's kind of like okay you kind of got attached to like the whole vibe of the show but you know it worked yeah yeah that's funny <laughs> Now I can say it loud and proud. Yeah, watch Hannah Montana. Um, you, you're you're um, a Hannah Montana fan now. You can commit gosh. to it. It's good. I need the Hannah Montana like throwback shirt now. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. So, what item of food did you absolutely despise that your mom tried to force you to eat when you were a kid? I wasn't that picky of an eater as a kid, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom never really like made me eat different things but one of the things that i never really liked was peas like just regular green peas and she didn't like it either so like there was never an argument on if we were going to eat peas for dinner it's like a (laughs) win-win yeah i was like oh sweet she's she doesn't like them i don't like them so it was all good there but i mean i i like just about everything as a kid i mean i part of that i think was because we were traveling uh, to, to racing when i was like five years old and so like we were out on the road trying different things and I wasn't, well, I wasn't sucked into just quesadillas or chips or whatever else you see kids eating, but yeah, I wanted to try whatever they were eating. So I think my parents, like when I was little, they would just kind of feed me whatever was on their plate. And I started to like whatever that was. Yeah. That's definitely the opposite of what I've you know, experienced. I know when I was a kid, I didn't like any type of fruit when like really when they'd have like a gym class thing where they're like here here's like this health thing in kindergarten where you're like you try like a cherry it's like look at it kind of mush it up in a you know like uh, a napkin throw it away i i mean i eat bananas now apples that kind of thing but mm, fruits I, I don't know i've always kind of shied away from and for some really? reason i don't know just like the taste or just like the the smell especially strawberries oh, not yeah <laughs> i don't yeah. know something about it that's funny yeah i think one of the things that I always really enjoyed as a kid too, is that I was homeschooled a little bit. And so my homeschool teacher, she would make food for us sometimes. So like we were always baking something or we would do like a science project and make bread that rises without uh, yeast in it. And so like, we would have all these different things that we we're trying all the time. She had a garden. So like for lunch break, we'd go out and pick things out of the garden. And so it's just like always constantly you were introducing new foods. And I, I think that it just taught me to try different things and not be scared and if I didn't like something I was like oh, don't like that move on next thing to try so I wasn't I wasn't afraid to, to give it a go and see if it was any good like now I've kind of reversed and I'm like okay I'll try it just give it one bite not like oh it's not like a spider type of like oh gosh I'm not gonna try that you know that kind of thing <laughs> but yeah. thankfully I'm starting to kind of make that corner of you know trying a couple yeah. more different things all right so I have a question for you oh boy what is the most exotic or wildest or craziest thing that you've tried um um not like bear grills so nothing like (laughs) that kind of thing uh most exotic um i think what was it i I probably a crab cake which i know is not really exotic i don't know (laughs) i don't like oh I mean, I remember, oh, I remember is that like, like a NASCAR race or something like Bristol Motor Speedway, they're like selling like these gators on a stick or something. I almost tried it, but then I'm like a fried oh, gator man. on a stick, like a little gator. A fried baby gator <laughs> yeah. on a stick. It's the weirdest that thing. That is wild. I, it was like the creepiest thing ever because like the mouth's still open, you know, but it's obviously fried, but it, it's, oh I don't know. Oh my goodness. My friend almost convinced me to 
to try it, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not trying that. Holy cow, man, that's almost so wild that I would try it. Like, I don't even care what it tastes like. I'm gonna try it just to say that I've tried it. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I think the wildest thing for me, um, I actually haven't tried this, but it, I'm willing to. I haven't seen it yet, but I can. But uh, back home, we have what's called Rocky Mountain oysters. Uh, yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> yeah. I don't. Even, I won't explain them. No. But that's on like my bucket list to try at some point in my life. But we have a, a large Hispanic population as well, and so like cow tongue is something that's fairly common out at Mexican restaurants out there. And so like, I've tried that and it's actually really, really good. It's like a really, really good, uh, roast, like a, a, like a nice tender shredded roast. Oh man. So good. So, so good. I'd imagine it'd be pretty tender. Like just be just looking at it, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. But uh, honestly, yeah. Besides a crab cake, I feel like there's probably something. Maybe I'll have to add that in, you know, at some point. But I'll yeah, have to think about it. Funny. We can mull on it till the last, till the next time. But, Sounds good. Uh, well, that's all the time we do have today for the episode. Uh, you know, look out for the next one after Mid Ohio. Uh, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. Uh, you can follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Behind Catch uh, Stingray. Where can we follow you? Uh, I'm on most social medias at Stingray Rob, and if it's not at Stingray Rob, it's at Sting underscore Ray underscore Rob. Or look me up on Google, stingrayrob.com. Perfect. Oh, and by the way, where's the merch at? I've been wanting to get a Stingray Rob shirt oh, yeah. at some point. What happened? Man, to the that? merch, the merch is coming. It is coming. I don't know if you saw on the Peacock broadcast, but we did have some of our yep. friends and fans wearing some. So we brought some to the races. My mom was walking around selling a few here or there, but the stock is so low right now. It's hard to mm-hmm. find uh, where to get them. And so we're kind of waiting on ships to cross the ocean with t-shirts for us. So that's what we're waiting on at the moment. Hopefully, hopefully soon we'll have some stuff to get, get out there to you guys. Hopefully we can get some soon. Cause the, the Stingray Rob, like, uh, what is it? Like the, what is it? Like the, what do you call it? Stocks, stonks, whatever. They call oh it. yeah. <laughs> it's starting to, go up. <laughs> starting to go up, but <laughs> that's all the time we have today. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you later.